0: Just like Genesis chapters 3 and 4, it does not take long for the fall of mankind to prove itself with the sin it finds itself spiraling into. Well, post-flood, we see the same thing, and that's where we catch up with Pastor Leighton Sheely here today on Study Verse by Verse. We are back in chapter 11 of Genesis. Now, as a cross-reference, we'll catch up with Pastor Leighton in 1 Kings chapter 21, Beginning in verse 19, as we begin to understand that while God has set up an authority over us in that of government, it doesn't mean that this government or any government has ultimate authority over us. With more, here's Pastor Layton on today's broadcast of Study,
1: Verse by Verse. Through the prophet Elijah, God said to King Ahab, you have murdered Amen. and stolen his property. Now, wait. uh, Doesn't a king or a government have the right to kill whomever they wish and take whatever they want? No, not according to God. So Elijah went to visit the king, and Ahab said to Elijah, So you have found me, my enemy. You have found me, my enemy. Elijah was not an enemy of the king. But any godless king or government who sees those who live for or speak on behalf of God, whether they be prophet, priest, or citizen, that government sees, that godless government sees them as an enemy. One of the surest ways of identifying a godless government is that they persecute godly people. I have found you, he answered, because you have sold yourself to do evil in the eyes of the Lord. I'm going to bring disaster on you. I will consume your descendants and cut off from Ahab every last male in Israel, slave or free. I will make your house like that of Jeroboam, son of Nahat, or that of Baasha, son of Ahijah, because you have provoked me to anger and have caused Israel to sin. Note that. Ahab and Jezebel not only sinned, but they also caused Israel to sin. Corrupt government promotes corruption. Corrupt government causes others to sin. And also concerning Jezebel, the Lord says, Dogs will devour Jezebel by the wall of Jezreel. Dogs will eat those belonging to Ahab who die in the city, and the birds of the air will feed on those who die in the country. You're not going to escape God's judgment. So clearly God does not take lightly when those who are in authority abuse those to whom they have been entrusted to serve, they will receive a harsh judgment, whether that be in this world or in the world to come. Now, some Christians in Nazi Germany mistakenly thought that the Bible teaches believers to support any government and obey any command. They forgot that God's government and God's commandments take priority over the commands and commandments of any human government. All human authority is delegated by God with limitations. For instance, no father has a God-given authority to abuse his wife or his children. No pastor has a God-given authority to abuse his congregation. And no government has a God-given authority to abuse its citizens. There are places in the New Testament where believers are instructed to support their government, Romans chapter 13 and 1 Peter chapter 2, but in both cases that command of support is based on the government being a servant of God who punishes those who do evil in the sight of God. God ordained and established three institutions in this world, marriage and family, human government, and the church. Each has its sphere of responsibility, and none can substitute for another. The church wields the sword of the Spirit, but the sword of justice is not theirs. It belongs to the government. And if the government interferes with matters of a Christian conscience, then believers have a right to disobey. Lawless people have no fear of law, but they might fear being caught and punished. Government was established by God because the human heart is disposed towards evil and sin, and the fear of punishment can help to restrain would be lawbreakers. Verse 7 And you be fruitful and multiply, increase greatly on the earth and multiply in it. So Noah and his family came out of the ark. They were to usher in a new beginning for the human race and the world. God had told Adam and Eve before them to be fruitful and multiply, and so he repeats that command, not once, but twice, to Noah and his family. Now, the following uh, section is what theologians call the Noahic covenant. And though God is speaking to Noah and his family, this covenant includes all succeeding generations, all generations to come. And the water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it. And remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. So God's covenant with Noah was sealed with a sign of the rainbow. So Whenever we go out and we look at the rainbow, we can be reminded that God has promised that he will never again destroy the earth with a flood. That means none of us need to get worried that when it starts raining, the rains aren't going to stop. We know that God has made that promise to us. But there's an interesting observation regarding the bow, the rainbow. Uh, a great Bible scholar once wrote, let's think about the bow. A bow, <coughs> a bow is an instrument of war. Remember bow and arrows? The bow is an instrument of war. But God has transformed it into a picture of his grace and faithfulness, a guarantee of peace. Now, God could certainly turn the bow of judgment upon us because we've broken his law and deserve judgment. But he has turned the bow towards heaven and taken the punishment for us himself. When Jesus died on the cross, it was the just one. Suffering for the unjust and bearing the suffering that rightfully belongs to us. Rainbows are universal. You see them all over the world. And God's grace is sufficient for the whole world and needs to be announced to the whole world. God's rainbow in the sky. The sons of Noah who went forth from the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham was the father of Canaan. Interesting because this is repeated to several times. These were the sons of Noah, and from these the people of the whole earth were dispersed. Did you know we are all family? We might have to go back as far as Noah in the family tree, but we are all cousins. We are all relatives. We're all one family. So why don't you turn to a few neighbors right now and say, Howdy, cousin. Howdy, cousin. We come in all different shapes and sizes and everything else, but we are all family. And all of Noah's descendants were important to the plan of God, but especially the line of Shem, because it was through that line that Abraham would be born. And through Abraham's descendants, the Redeemer would come to fulfill the promise God made in Genesis 3.15 to crush the head of the serpent. Now we know that Noah was a great man, but like all great men in the Bible, he was not perfect. The story continues. Noah began to be a man of the soil, and he planted a vineyard. He drank of the wine and became drunk and lay uncovered in his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. Then Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it on both their shoulders, and walked backward and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned backward, they did not see their father's nakedness. When Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his youngest son had done uh, done to him, he said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants, he shall be to his brothers. He also said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth and let him dwell in the tents of Shem and let Canaan be his servant. Now, whenever the Bible mentions the sins of the saints, it's it's intended to be a warning for us to not do what they did. The Bible condemns drunkenness, but it doesn't condemn drinking of wine. And this is the first mention of wine in Scripture, and probably it was practiced before the flood. We know that at this time, Noah speaking of his grandson, so he's old enough to know what wine can do. He probably didn't plan to get drunk, but he got drunk just the same. And I've been told that there is an ancient Japanese proverb that's appropriate. It says, first the man takes a drink, and then the drink takes a drink. I'll have another, please. And then the drink takes the man. You know, how people respond to sin and shame of others is an indictment and an indication of their character. Ham should have knocked or waited for an invitation. If he did peek into the tent and saw his father laying there, he might have covered his father quietly and went away and mentioned nothing. But the scriptures here suggest that he went away and was talking about his father in a disrespectful manner to his brothers. But instead of laughing with Ham and going to see the father's sight, Shem and Japheth showed their love and respect by putting a garment between them, backing into the tent with their eyes averted and covering their father's nakedness. Shem and Japheth were practicing something that had not yet been written, but it's found in Proverbs ten twelve, and 1 Peter 4, 8. Love covers all sins. Love covers a multitude of
0: sin. A lesson you and I need to learn well. You have been listening to Study Verse by Verse with Pastor Leighton Sheely from Church of the Highlands right here in San Bruno. You can find us online at highlands.us. That would be a great place to start if you would like to learn a bit more about us here at Study Verse by Verse or at Church of the Highlands in San Bruno. Highlands.us. Tomorrow, we're back in Genesis. Join us then for Study Verse by Verse with Pastor Leighton Sheely.